Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, senior pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. morning as our kids are dismissed. Thank you so much, Scott and Kim and Caitlin. I always appreciate you guys leading in worship, and um, thank you guys so much. Also, thank you, Mike, for reading that scripture uh, this morning. And so his print, by the way, was about eight fonts, so uh, I don't know how he's reading that. Uh, as I get a little bit older, I'm starting to realize the eyes begin to age as well. But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn them on. Turn them to the book of Galatians, chapter number two. Uh, if you're a guest here with us, I want to say a word of welcome. My name is Parker Smith, a senior pastor here. When you came in, hopefully you received a uh, bulletin in that bulletin, a perforated card. Fill it out. You can leave it in your seat. Uh, turn it in. Hand it to somebody um, that maybe looks like they go here or knows what they're doing. And uh, we'll get that uh, to us. And I uh, would love to pray for you and uh, just let you know that we're glad that you're here this morning. And uh, we're going to continue in this kind of mini-series uh, this morning, if you will, uh, Lessons for a Healthy Church from a Church That's in Danger. We kind of took a pause uh, looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and uh, said that there's a lot here. And last week, um, we looked at, we need to honor our leaders, uh, we need to know who's in, know who's out, this idea of accountability within a local church, that membership should mean something, and then lastly, uh, praise publicly, and if needed, rebuke privately, got into um, a notion of church discipline. And so this morning, we're going to dig into three more points, all from Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'll give them to you on the front end, and so you can write them down, but we'll work our way through them. But uh, next, we need to also rest in God's word. Uh, fourthly, or fifthly, we need to find common ground in Christ. And then lastly, uh, keep the gospel clear and thriving. And so hopefully what you see is that if we unpack uh, these 10 verses about what it means to be a healthy church. I want us to call our attention to a couple of things, noting that and that we spent Really, why in the world would we spend three weeks on one text? Well, because this is going to require work. It requires something of us as well. It requires our persistence. It requires our humility. It requires us to submit ourselves constantly unto the Lord. And so the other thing that I constantly uh, tell myself in my own heart is that I always want to come from a heart that's been transformed by the Lord. I never want to come across as like I'm preaching at you or at to you. Beloved, all throughout the week, I'm asking the Lord to reveal these things to my heart first. And know that my first audience, before I ever preach to Prospect Baptist, I preach to my heart first. And so these are all things the Lord is bringing about in my heart. I can't tell you how many times I have to call upon the Lord, cry out to the Lord, and say, God, would you forgive me in this? Align my heart to him. Um, I'm a broken man preaching to broken people. Uh, and so I'm in desperate need of God's grace, and so are you. And so I never want to communicate in such a way that says, I'm void of this or don't need this. I always preach to myself first and then to others. The Lord working through me, communicating to his people. And so anyway, this morning I want to call your attention to Galatians chapter 2. If you would, stand in, in, in honoring the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord from Galatians chapter number 2, verses 1 
through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order that I may make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he had worked through, the, through Peter for his apostolic ministry, to the circumcised worked also through, to me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles that they, and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, would you say amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would help us to see Christ and Christ exalted, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Father, that we would not look at this text and see it void of Christ, that we would look and see Christ exalted, lifted up. And then when the Son of Man is lifted up, you say he would draw all men to himself. And so, Father, we ask that you do that very thing this morning, that you challenge us, that you encourage us. God, that you bring about our repentance as only you can do. God, would you soften our hearts? Would you do it for your glory and your glory alone? By your spirit, may we hear your word and receive it in faith, and may we obey and apply your word in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to call our attention again this morning to really three things. Point number one is that I want us to encourage us, how do we build a healthy church? How do we continue? What are the lessons that we can learn for a healthy church from one that is in danger? Point number one is that we rest in the truth of God's word. Look at verse four and five. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped out and to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We have spent countless times, every single week I have mentioned these false brothers. I've mentioned the fruit of their life that they're wanting to entrap, they're wanting to ensnare, that they're wanting to bring about division. We talked about that gossip and sickness spreads and that we have to get that under control and that these false teachers wanted to control the very things within the church. That they wanted to spread the disease of discord, that it begins to spread and affect the body. That is what sin does. It grows. It continues to grow. It continues to build up and get, bring about more strength and more assurance in, until it eventually enslaves us and ensnares us. Flip over to Hebrews chapter number 12. I want to show you this cross text and this will kind of be kind of a glue that will web together this Galatians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 and the point that I'm making this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 looking at verse 1 but we'll span that out looking at verse 1 and 2. It says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight watch this and sin which clings 
so closely. Some of your translations even say that sin that so easily entangles us. It, it snares us in. It traps us. Sin is a trap, beloved. It will make promises to you that will really lead to death. Promises of life that will lead to death. Promises that were really filled with poison. It will demand of you and promise you sanctification that will be lacking in the end. It will promise you rest that will end with you being restless. But note the word in the book of Galatians. There's one word that's mentioned there in verse 4. It says that they might bring us into slavery. All of that is one word in the original Greek. It's the word katadelusosin. It's the word that means this, to enslave completely. The word kata, meaning along with or to bring in. The word doulos, the word for slave or bondagement. It's a word that means to entrap, to ensnare. It means to bring someone into bondage without any hope of escape. It's the idea of placing someone under a burden or under an obligation or debt that they can never pay. And that's the trouble. That's the trouble that these false brothers were bringing about. It's the damning nature of these false brothers working against the very gospel and the freedom that Christ gives to us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is, Christ, is, is righteousness in Christ Jesus. Placed a demand that went beyond and continue to build upon this law and say the law continues to demand more of you. Yet Christ fulfilled it for you, beloved, and he is your sacrifice and substitute. That's the truth of the gospel. That the very law that you could not meet, Christ accomplished it for you and on your behalf, died in your place, and we are made right, not because of anything that you could do, but Christ earning righteousness for you by his perfect life, his perfect obedience, dying on a cross in your place, being resurrected by the power of God, and giving to you eternal life and freedom and righteousness by grace through faith in Christ alone. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But these false teachers would say, wait a minute. Not so fast. And they would begin to try to pull them back in. Pull them back into bondage. Pull them back into the slavery. Pull them back in to say, Christ really can't set you free. You still need law keeping. You still need circumcision. You still need us. And in doing so, bringing them back in, sucking them back into the bondage of the law. Beloved, there is no freedom that's there. There's no freedom in perpetual law keeping, only bondage and slavery. And a yoke was being placed upon them that Christ had removed and set them free from. Do you see the danger? A yoke was being placed on them that was outside of the word of God. Outside of what God has spoken, outside of what God has revealed and communicated through his apostles. Yet a yoke was being placed upon them and that they could not carry in themselves. And in not being able to carry it, it was robbing them of their freedom and liberty in Christ. Placing a burden or demand upon them that they were never intended to carry. And adding to 
the very thing that God had freed them from in Christ. Here's a good test for you in considering the fellowship and the people that you communicate with and hang out with just in life. Are they spurring you on to Christ's likeness? Do you feel lifted up or do you feel beaten down when you're around them? Do you feel pointed away from Christ or do you feel like you're pointed toward Christ? Do you feel like you're challenged to follow Jesus with more passion or are you lured into mediocrity? Is there a sweetness within their spirit or is there a groaning within yours? Is there a sense of freedom or is there a sense of bondage? That's what these false teachers and these false brothers were bringing upon. And I'm often amazed of the spirit that is often, so often within the church of one that is one of criticalness or one that new ideas or creativity is often met with resistance or no can-do mentality. And I'm not talking about staying focused on vision or aligning with the direction of the church, but sometimes good and needed things are often dismissed or shot down because it went against someone's own personal opinions. We should be careful, church, that we don't begin to create a spirit of legalism or become fixed or guarding and protecting our kingdom and in doing so neglecting God's kingdom that he's building. We should never elevate our preferences, our practices to the level of thus says the Lord. And that's what's going on with these false brothers. You want to know where you'll find liberty in that mindset? You'll find liberty in looking at what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You find freedom in Christ. You find freedom in the person of Christ, in resting in the truth of God's word. God has spoken. And in speaking, he is speaking through his apostles. There's much that we can say there. And instead of running counter to that, we need to fall in line with that. Because when we run counter to the revealed word of God, I'll tell you what we'll find. We won't find freedom. Instead, we will find, we'll we'll be entangled, we'll be entrapped, we'll be enslaved, we'll bring ourselves into bondage. Folks, the problem of the Judaizers was a problem of doctrine. It was a doctrinal problem. As most every problem within the church ends up being a doctrinal problem. It was the same doctrinal problem that Adam and Eve faced in the garden. You know what it was? Did God really say... Did God say, there will be a testing within your heart. This will be the test of your life. When temptation comes, when you're tempted to believe the lies of the enemy, when you're tempted to to paint a reality that's false about your life, when you're tempted to look at sin and you're tempted to go astray, this will be the issue. Has God not spoken on the matter? Well, maybe God hasn't. Well, then again, maybe, maybe God hasn't. Beloved, God has spoken through his word, and we must take it seriously. How will you respond to difficulty in your life? Will you focus on your little world, or will you focus on what the Lord has revealed? And the same is true within the church as well. 
I've seen conflict that arise in the church that says, well, what do the bylaws say? Or who makes the call here? Or who do we follow here? Or does our preference yield to unity? Or does our personalities flare without restraint? No, beloved, we've seen the division that can come from that. But beloved, a church that is healthy and a church that follows and submits to what the Lord says on the matter, I've yet to see one doing that that's lacking in health. I've yet to see a church that constantly asks themselves this question, Romans 4, 3, what does the scripture say? I've yet to see one without health. I've yet to see one lacking in fruit, in harmony, in unity. Folks, God has spoken. And churches that constantly look to his word and for direction and guidance, regardless of what they've done before, will find freedom peace, unity, and harmony in the body. And those who will not will eventually wander into vain discussions. 1 Timothy 1.6 Folks, I want to tell you that the very thing that we build our life upon, both as an individual and both as a corporate body, should be the Word of God. And anything else that we seek to build our lives upon is like building it upon sinking sand. Folks, I'm also aware, I don't want to communicate that we can't glean from other resources or teachings. We can. There's often an abuse that takes place of sola scriptura that would say something to the effect of no creed but the Bible. And while that sounds nice, what you have to remember is that people will twist this word in any way that fits their own agenda. And folks, we need to be careful to recognize and understand that there is an authoritative text, but there's also an authoritative teaching as well. And both complement one another to formulate what is Christian orthodoxy. Folks, we need historical theology. We need to understand what those that have gone before us, how they have understood the text. But what's the point? Folks, sola scriptura simply means this, that we follow the clear teaching of what God's word says. We don't argue with it. We don't go against it. We don't try to test it. We don't try to say, I think I can come up with a better way. We say simply, we come to the word of God and say, God, what does your word say? That's what we're going to do. And beloved, let's be that church. Let's be a church, and there are fewer and fewer today. Let's be a church that is unwavering in our commitment to God's word. Let's ask the tough questions. Let's ask questions when we're at a crossroads of what to do, what to say, what yields, which way do we go to pause and say, what does God's word say on this matter? What does God's word say? Because, folks, if we entertain anything else, I assure you it will not end well. There'll be pieces that are missing. There'll be discord instead of harmony. There will be division instead of unity. And there will be bondage instead of freedom. The same is true in your life as well. Do you want peace, Christian? Do you want freedom, Christian? Do you want to be lifted from the bondage of sin and guilt and shame? Cling to Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The the scripture that we read, I said I'm going to weave this together. Let us therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. He is the author and the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christian, do you want freedom? Find it in looking only in Christ and rest in him. Place your yoke upon him. Place the yoke and the burdens that others try to place upon you. Place it on Jesus. Place it at the foot of the cross and rest in his work and rest in his word. Looking to anything else, we won't find life. We must look to God's word. Secondly, we must find common ground in Christ. Look at verses 6 through 9. And from those who seemed influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality to those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me so that we could go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. I want to make this point. Note the five men that are mentioned here. The Apostle Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, and John. All of them having different personal backgrounds, different experiences. Note the difference of writing styles and the focus that they, that they focus on. Paul, filled with theology. James, filled with an emphasis on works. John, focused so much on love in his writing. Yet the differences within this text, Paul going to the Jews... Paul, or it's Peter going to the Jews, Paul and Barnabas going to the Gentiles, yet the ministry front continues and they find common ground in Christ. They find common ground in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry front goes in different directions, but it's the same gospel. That's the unifier within their fellowship together. And I'll tell you what they're not. They're not in competition with one another. The apostle Paul had to set this straight to the church in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants, of, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither it is he who plants nor waters anything, but God gives the growth. I'll tell you what isn't here among these apostles, and that's a spirit of competition. They're brothers in Christ. They weren't seeking to see who could grow the bigger church or who could have more followers for themselves. Instead, there was one of unity and companionship. I preached a couple of weeks ago and said that, that there are some like-minded brothers and there's also a reasons to separate, not to participate together. Namely, if we're not getting the gospel right, but beyond that... There's reason for working alongside and partnering in ministry with other churches and believers. Beloved, we don't compete with other gospel-centered churches in this area. Churches in this area, they're gospel-centered churches in this area, they're not our rivals. Park City, Maranatha, First Baptist, Pleasant Hill, other gospel-centered churches in Taft and in the community, they're not against us. And we're not against them. But we should be praying for them instead. 
We should pray for fruitful labor among the saints. Let's pray for unity and harmony. Even when the SBC and the cooperative program of collective giving of our cooperative program dollars to see the gospel spread, to see the gospel go forth, to see Christ and the unity that is there in church, that is where we will find our unity as well. That rest assured that there may be many things, many doctrines that may pop in that could bring about doctrinal disagreements, yet someone could still remain in orthodoxy. Let's not make second and tertiary issues gospel issues all the time. Let's not major on the minors. Let's say what's essential. The gospel is essential. Let's find unity there and work to that end because the unity of the church and the unity of believers and unity among churches is that within the person and work of Jesus Christ and we ought to strive to that end. I'll tell you what's interesting is that everyone is acceptable to this. Flip over to Acts chapter 15. We've mentioned this a couple of times, this Jerusalem council. And note what takes place right after this. Acts chapter 15. We're all susceptible to division. We're all susceptible for parting ways. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take them, them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Paul with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Note, just after the Jerusalem council, just after this great crescendo of finally coming to the conclusion and saying, this is what the gospel is, Paul and Barnabas were together in Galatia. They're together at the council, only to part ways because of a sharp disagreement. That's why I preached so hard last week about unity and love within the church. I'll plead with you again. Prospect, we must guard and protect our unity at all costs. And folks, we'll never arrive and be on guard Sometimes the greatest temptation to part will be after a great victory as well. You see this. I don't know exactly what happened with Paul and Barnabas, but Colossians chapter 4 sheds a little bit of light, namely that Barnabas was the cousin of Mark. It could be that Barnabas was allowing personal preference or familiar preference over sound judgment in the family of God. But note this. Note the text in verse 40 of, of Acts chapter 15. Paul's ministry, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That's the local church coming beside and along Paul and Silas saying, we affirm you. But it is interesting that nothing is said about Barnabas and Mark. It's just things that make you go, hmm. And you really don't hear anything about Barnabas again. 
I like to think that there was at least some type of reconciliation between the parties. I pray that there were. You see some hint of that, at least in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul says that Luke is alone with me, and he says, go get Mark and bring him to me, for he is very useful for me in my ministry. But folks, it's sad. Beloved, this is sad. And we ought to be always on guard and realize that we will never arrive here. Instead, we must be on guard and know that sometimes we're more susceptible after a great victory for the enemy to attack. There may be someone in here being tempted in this way even now. To bring about discord or division or to be critical or to allow preference to override God's word or God's people. Something's just eating at you. And you just want to say something. Maybe you already have. Beloved, you need to be careful. We need to be careful how we address situations and concerns. And that our aim always be unity. Always be love. Always be the spirit of Christ. Always be working towards our unity together in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Point number three. We must keep the gospel clear and keep the gospel thriving. I'll make this point first in Galatians 2, 5, and then I'll flip back to Galatians chapter 1. It says, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, them that we did not yield in submission even for a moment, here's the hinge, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul's defense and protection of the true gospel, the gospel of grace, was so that the gospel might be preserved for someone else. Namely, the Galatians. We've talked extensively about what the gospel is. You could summarize the gospel in a few different verses, many verses within the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Recognizing that, that you are a sinner, that you're in desperate need of God's grace, that you owed a debt to your Lord, you owe a debt to your creator that you could not pay. And the only hope that you had of being saved is that God himself did something on your behalf. And the truth of 2 Corinthians 5 is that God, God, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Christ died in our place, not having any sin of his own, but bearing our sin on himself that we might become. In other words, giving to us, crediting to us the righteousness of God, not of works. It's the gospel of grace. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're perishing without Christ. We are perishing without God doing something. We are destined for hell. We're destined for condemnation unless God does something. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die a sinner's death on your behalf. To see a bloody, crucified Christ hanging on a cross, that is your death that was intended for you. Christ was stripped naked on a cross so that he might clothe you in his righteousness, folks. By your belief, repentance, and faith in Christ alone, we are made right 
Paul succinctly says the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you as first importance, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, of what I've also received. Here it is. Here's the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. What is the gospel? Christ died according to the scripture. He took upon his death our death, that he was buried. He literally died. He was, because of sin, he was buried, put in the grave. The wages of sin is death. He put it upon him and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. The good news of Jesus Christ, of God dying, Christ suffering in your place and that you have no hope apart from Jesus. And God does it all. We're connected to that gospel of our repentance and faith. God doing it all. A work of God. Drawing sinners to himself. Only through his Holy Spirit are we born again. Made new creatures in Christ. God replacing our old dead sin filled heart of stone. And giving to us new, a new heart of flesh. Making us new creatures. John 1 says that he was in the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to that which was his own. And his own people did not receive him. The Christ came. We rejected him. In our sinfulness we said we don't want you. We're instead we love this world. We love the things of this world. We want to follow the passions of our flesh. We were by nature Ephesians 2 said children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. We had no hope in this world. And we rejected the very Savior that God sent to us, just like Israel was doing in John chapter 1. But the truth of the gospel is this, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Do you know this gospel? Have you responded? Have you received and believed Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ this morning? You'll stand before the Lord with no righteousness that you can give to him apart from the righteousness of Christ. And without it, we will surely be condemned. Do you know this gospel? Have you responded to this gospel? Church, do we know this gospel collectively? Does it run deep within our bones? Is it deep within our veins within this church? We must not only guard unity, but we must guard the gospel as well. It can be lost. And we ought not assume the gospel either. I'll tell you, the gospel has been assumed in many cultures and churches and lives. But if we assume it, we ought be careful not to do so. Because Paul's effort is to preserve the gospel to the Galatians because it had been lost. And he says, I want to preserve this for you. I want to preserve this to you. But look in Galatians chapter 1. Note what happens. I am astonished, church. I'm astonished, churches. I'm astonished that you so quickly have deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's concern and rebuke is twofold. Do you see it? First of all, he says, these false teachers, I'm rebuking them for teaching you a false gospel. I had some tough words to say to them. But my second rebuke is to the church. 
for believing a false gospel. He blames, he lays the foot of blame at the feet of the congregations of Galatia as well. He says, you've deserted the gospel. You've forsaken the gospel. You've professed something and then walked away. The gospel has been lost here. And I'm trying to preserve it. But church, it can be lost as well. Do we know this gospel? If someone were to ask you right now, what is the gospel? Could you speak? Or would you get cold feet? Do you know it? Do you know it in your heart? Do you know it with your mind? Have you been changed by the power of the gospel? Do you know it practically? Do you know it personally? Can you articulate it verbally? We must know the gospel. We must contend for the gospel. We must preserve the gospel. It's worth keeping. It's worth guarding. It's worth fighting for. It's worth defending. It is worth preserving the gospel. Why? For those who come after us. So that the gospel might be preserved for you. The Apostle Paul says we didn't yield to these false brothers in Jerusalem or these false teachers for one moment. Instead, we stood up to them. I'm locking arms with Peter and the pillars. I'm writing you this letter in love. Why am I doing that? Galatians 2.5. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Church, that's why we say that our vision here is that we may present everyone mature in Christ, that we labor, that we strive, that we toil to that end because the gospel is worth keeping. Being mature in Christ means that we know the gospel. It means that we proclaim the gospel. It means that we contend for the gospel. That's why we do certain things that we do even within our worship service, why we have kids joining in with us during our worship service. We're teaching them. We're modeling to them. We're discipling them. We're, we're, we're maturing them in Christ. We don't just silo them off to, to, as soon as they get here. Instead, we're intentional about instilling the truth of the gospel to them so that the gospel might be preserved for you. Psalm 145, 4, one generation shall commend the works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Beloved, the gospel was coming to us because God is intending it to go to someone else as well. God's aim in sending the gospel to you is that you would live this gospel, that you would believe this gospel, but you would also, the gospel would be in you and also work through you and further to others as well. Church, let's be a church with that mindset. Not just looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Let's not just consider the church of today, and, but let's instead make kingdom investments for the next generation to see the next generation thrive off of success and the preserving of the gospel in our church because they're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. Let's preserve the gospel for them too. Folks, I'll tell you, we'll never make a bad investment by intentionally investing in the next generation. That's true in protecting them. Folks, that's true. You can't put a price tag on that. That's true in sending them, sending them on mission, sending them to conferences and camps where people come back and they're saved. 
You can't put a price tag on that, folks. That's true in supporting their ministry through a yearly budget. That's, that's true in you personally investing your time and energy in the ministries of our youth and our kids. It matters, folks. Preserving the gospel for them matters. Why would we do any of this? This, this, it requires work. Why would we dive deep into doctrine? Why would we fight for the gospel? Why would we defend the gospel? Why would we worry about keeping it? Why would we worry about passing it down and discipling others? Why would we want to build healthy churches? Why would we take God's word seriously? Why would we fight so hard for unity and love for one another? Why would we spend three weeks on one text? Because God intends that the gospel that we proclaim be displayed in and through our church as well. And he intends that this gospel not just be ours, but it be preserved for those who will come after us as well. Why do we do it? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Every church and every generation must fight to preserve and keep the gospel. It was true for the churches in Galatia, and it's true for us as well. Let's pray to that end. Let's serve to that end. Let's work to that end that we may present every person mature in Christ so that the truth of the gospel might be proclaimed and, and preserved among the saints at Prospect Baptist as well. We've spent a lot of time coming to a close this morning. We've spent a lot of time. Speaking about this, honor your leaders, know who's in, knows who's out, praise publicly, if needed, rebuke privately, rest in the truth of God's word, find common ground in Christ, know the gospel, keep it clear and keep it thriving. And I want to invite you now to respond to that end. A fourfold response, number one, that you would pray to say, God, would you continue to bring about continued health and unity among the saints at Prospect Baptist? Would you continue to allow us to move and align our lives and ourselves to this church and to your word and what you revealed? Folks, it's beyond us. It's beyond our power or control. The Lord must build the house. Would you pray that God would do it? Would you pray that God would bring about healthy churches in our community and healthy churches here? Secondly, to repent, maybe personally. That you see sin or discord or division welling up in your heart and you just want to come and repent of that. Thirdly, to trust Christ. Maybe you've never trusted in the work of Jesus Christ before. You've never, you've, you've never placed your hope and assurance in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And maybe today be the day of salvation that says, I cannot do it on my own. I needed Jesus to do it for me and I place my trust in him and repent of my sin and trust Christ. Maybe you want to do that today. You want to pray. You want to repent. You want to trust Christ. Or maybe you want to join with us. You say, prospect, you're not perfect. And beloved, we are not. And we'll never be. There's not a perfect church. And the moment that an unperfect person joins one, it'll become unperfect. And we're all unperfect. But beloved, maybe you do want to join and be a part of this church. To say, I want to join in the effort. I want to join and be a part of what the Lord is doing here at the Saints and among the Saints at Prospect Baptist Church. If that's you, I would love to start a conversation with you. So a fourfold response this morning, that you would pray to that end, that you would repent personally, that you would trust Christ, and that you would consider joining with us. And let's pray. Father in heaven.
Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.